0: Good morning. My name is Karen Ritterbush. I'll be reading our passage for this morning, which is 1 Samuel chapter 25. If you're following along in the Black Chair Bibles, it's on page 256. Hear the word of the Lord. Samuel died and all Israel assembled to mourn for him, and they buried him by his home in Ramah. David then went down to the wilderness of Paran. A man in Ma'on had a business in Carmel. He was a very rich man with 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The man's name was Nabal and his wife's name, Abigail. The woman was intelligent and beautiful, but the man, a Calebite, was harsh and evil in his dealings. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So David sent 10 young men instructing them. Go up to Carmel, and when you come to Nabal, greet him in my name. Then say this, Long life to you, and peace to you, peace to your family, and peace to all that is yours. I hear that you are shearing. When your shepherds were with us, we did not harass them, and nothing of theirs was missing the whole time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. So let my young men find favor with you, For we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have on hand to your servants and to your son David. David's young men went and said all these things to Nabal on David's behalf, and they waited. Nabal asked, Who is David? Who is Jesse's son? Many slaves these days are running away from their masters. Am I supposed to take my bread, my water, and my meat that I butchered for my shears and give it to these men? I don't know where they're from. David's young men retraced their steps. When they returned to him, they reported all these words. He said to his men, all of you put on your swords. So each man put on his sword, and David also put on his sword. About 400 men followed David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of Nabal's young men informed Abigail, Nabal's wife, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed at them. The men treated us very well. When we were in the field, we weren't harassed, and nothing of ours was missing the whole time we were living among them. There was a wall around us both day and night, the entire time we were with them herding the sheep. Now consider carefully what you should do, because there is certain to be trouble for our master and his entire family. He is such a worthless fool, nobody can talk to him. Abigail hurried, taking two hundred loaves of bread, two jars clay jars of wine, five butchered sheep, a bushel of roasted grain, one hundred clusters of raisins, and two pre- hundred cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she said to her male servants, Go ahead of me. I will be right behind you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. As she rode on the donkey down the mountain pass, hidden from view, She saw David and his men coming toward her and met them. David had just said, I guarded everything that belonged to this man in the wilderness for nothing. He was not missing anything, yet he paid me back evil for good. May God punish me and do so severely if I let any of his males survive until morning. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off the donkey and knelt down with her face to the ground and paid homage to David. She knelt at his feet and said, the guilt is mine, my lord, but please let your servant speak to you directly. Listen to the words of your servant. My lord should pay no attention to this worthless fool Nabal, for he lives up to his name. His name means stupid, and stupidity is all he knows. I, your servant, did not see my lord's young men whom you sent. Now, my lord, as surely as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, It is the Lord who kept you from participating in bloodshed and avenging yourself by your own hand. May your enemies and those who intend to harm my Lord be like Nabal. Let this gift your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord is certain to make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because he fights the Lord's battles. Throughout your life, may evil not be found in you. Someone is pursuing you and intends to take your life. My Lord's life is tucked safely in the place where the Lord your God protects the living, but he is flinging away your enemies' lives like stones from a sling. When the Lord does for my Lord all the good he promised you and appoints you ruler over Israel, there will not be remorse or a troubled conscience for my Lord because of needless bloodshed or my Lord's revenge. When the Lord does good things for my Lord, May you remember me, your servant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who sent you to me. Meet me today. May your discernment be blessed, and may you be blessed. Today you kept me from participating in bloodshed and avenging myself by my own hand. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, who prevented me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, Nabal wouldn't have had any mails left by morning light. Then David, David accepted what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. See, I have heard what you said, and I have granted your request. Then Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was in his house, holding a feast fit for a king. Nabal's heart was cheerful, and he was very drunk, so she didn't say anything to him until morning light. In the morning when Nabal sobered up, His wife told him about these events. His heart died, and he became a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal dead. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who championed my cause against Nabal's insults and restrained his servant from doing evil. The Lord brought Nabal's evil deeds back on his own head. Then David sent messengers to speak to Abigail about marrying him. When David's servants came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David sent us to bring you to him as a wife. She stood up, paid homage with her face to the ground, and said, Here I am, your servant, a slave to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Then Abigail got up quickly, and with her five female servants accompanying her, rode on the donkey following David's messengers, and so she became his wife. David also married Ahinoam of Jezreel, and the two of them became his wives. But Saul gave his daughter Michal, David's wife, to Palti, son of Laish, who was from Gallim. This is God's holy and inspired word. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, good morning. My name is uh, Dick Layman, one of the pastors here at uh, Faith Church. And today we're going to look at a very interesting passage about David's interaction with a couple uh, named uh, Nabal and Abigail. Uh, I'm assuming that Karen read it, the Hebrew pronunciation. I'm used to uh, English pronunciation, uh, Nabal, so that's what you'll probably hear me use. Uh, I had to admit, when I first heard that I was assigned to this passage, I thought, wow, you know, the majority of my ministry these days is marriage counseling. <laughs> so, what would it be like for me to counsel a couple like Nabal and Abigail? How would I handle a guy like this? Um, passage very clear that this guy is a fool. That's what his name means. Must have been tough for Abigail to have been married to him. In my office, how would I encourage a wife like this uh, if she's married to a fool? Perhaps you can think of a wife who is married to a man that you might call a fool. Well, we're going to see how this couple, Nabal and Abigail, intersect with the life of David. In fact, God uses Abigail to intervene in David's life in a very significant way. Uh, Abigail intervenes in David's life, and she helps him to avoid sin and pursue righteousness. What uh, Abigail does in this story becomes the main point of my sermon. Here's the main point. In his providence, God uses people to intervene in the lives of others to help them avoid sin and pursue righteousness. David, of course, is uh, the newly anointed king, but he's not actually king yet. Uh, Samuel, the prophet, had anointed him years earlier. uh, But now in verse 1 of chapter 25, we read that Samuel has died. What was that like for David? All Israel mourned for him. I'm sure David did as well. It's the end of an era. And uh, I wonder how David felt when he heard the news of Samuel's death. Perhaps he felt like he's on his own now. Samuel told David that he's going to replace Saul as king. But Saul is after him, trying to kill him. And for 10 years, David is on the run. From age 20 to age 30, David has to live in exile, running from Saul. He now has about 600 men with him, and in David's travels through the countryside, he goes down to the wilderness of Paran in the southern part of Judah, and he comes to a field of shepherds and sheep that belong to this guy named Nabal. Nabal is the first character in our story, which is point number one. Nabal, the self-centered fool. Text reads that he's a very rich man. He has 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Uh, He was shearing his sheep. uh, It's a process of cutting off the wool, uh, typically done once a year, often between spring and summer. And typically, this is the time of great celebration. It's a big deal, especially if you have 3,000 sheep to shear. Nabal was a Calebite. That is, he was a descendant of Caleb very honorable to come from that line. You may recall, Caleb was one of Joshua's men uh, during the conquest of the land centuries earlier. Uh, Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And uh, there's this striking passage about Caleb at the end as they enter into the promised land. He says, give me this mountain. This guy was 85 years old. Wow, what a man of faith. Well, Nabal wasn't anything like Caleb. He was harsh and evil in his dealings, it says in verse 3. He was a wicked man. Later in chapter, uh, of the chapter, verse 17, one of his shepherds describes him as such a worthless fool that nobody can talk to him. His own wife, Abigail, has told David in verse 25, Pay no attention to this worthless fool, Nabal, for he lives up to his name. His name means stupid, and stupidity is all that he knows. Wow, <laughs> can you imagine the wife saying that to David? In this chapter, we see that Nabal does live up to his name. As the story unfolds, while Nabal's sheep were out in the fields watching over, Three Shepherds were watching over 3,000 sheep. David and his men provide them protection. They were on the lookout against thieves or enemies that could attack the shepherds and steal the sheep. They were a wall of protection around them, as it says, guarding them and helping them day and night. They were a blessing to these shepherds. So when it came time to shear the sheep, David sent 10 of his young men to Nabal to tell him about this protection that they provided and to ask for food and supplies. And they asked it really nicely. They said in verse eight, please give whatever you have on hand to your servants and your son, David. Even referred to David as his son. It's just a, a very respectful and kind way of speaking to him. And they asked at a time where there was lots of food and lots of supplies available, it was the time for a feast. And Nabal's response in verse 10 and 11 was the response of a fool. He said, who is David? Who is Jesse's son? Many slaves these days are running from their masters. Am I supposed to take my bread, my water, my meat that I butchered from my shears and give them to these men? I don't know where they're from. One of the Nabal's shepherds in verse 14 says that he screamed at them. I imagine he said a lot of other things that they reported to David that's not recorded here. What he said was very offensive and insulting. Nabal, as his name indicates, was a fool. Now, what makes a person a fool? Bible has a lot to say about the fool. For example, earlier in the church service, we read from Psalm 14 that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Anyone who denies the existence of God is a fool. And oftentimes they may believe that he exists, but they don't live in light of his existence. His existence doesn't matter to them. Certainly don't want to be accountable to God. You know, the book of Proverbs is a great place to go to see the description of a fool. 80 times, eight zero, 80 times the fool is mentioned in the book of Proverbs. Let me just give you some of them. Chapter 1, verse 7, fools despise wisdom and discipline. 122, fools hate knowledge. 1215, fool's way is right in his own eyes thirteen sixteen a fool displays his stupidity. fourteen sixteen a fool is easily angered and careless. twenty nine verse eleven a fool gives full vent to his anger. Now there's lots of topics in the book of Proverbs that are warnings of what to avoid. I think the first 11 chapters of Proverbs, you could make the case, are the warnings of a father to a son of the things to avoid. Oftentimes in those chapters, you'll see uh, they are to avoid alcohol, they're to avoid uh, hanging out in gangs, they're to avoid sexual immorality, they're to avoid laziness, all kinds of relevant topics if you're gonna live with wisdom. Uh, but those who are fools embrace those kinds of things. They embrace alcoholism. They embrace uh, laziness and scorn and mockery and all of the things that uh, that Proverbs warns against. Dan Allender, in his book called Bold Love, by the way, he was one of my professors in a biblical counseling ministry uh, years ago when I was in seminary, he wrote this book called Bold Love. And he has a chapter called Loving a Fool. You know, I reread it recently just in preparation for this sermon. I'd read it years ago. Uh, And uh, I was struck when I read it that this would have been a good chapter for Abigail to read on how to love her husband. Of course, the book didn't exist back then. But uh, Dan Allender summarizes the teaching on Proverbs in this way. He describes a fool as someone who is angry, arrogant, and self-centered. A fool's anger is disproportionate to the situation. That is, he often overreacts to a situation. Think of a father overreacting to a son that spilled ice cream on the floor. Uh, And and this explosion is, is disproportionate to the situation. Fool's anger is impulsive. It can just all of a sudden happen. Uh, You you actually don't know when it's going to happen, but it's it's a very impulsive response to a situation. Uh, And it's repetitive. It happens over and over and over again. The fool is self-centered, has a hatred of knowledge and a hatred of discipline. He does not listen to reproof, but only reacts in anger. He's not teachable or responsive to correction. He just explodes with an angry outburst. Now, this can be true of both men and women. In my reading through Proverbs, I noticed that half a dozen times it talks about the hot-tempered man. But guess what? Half a dozen times it talks about the quarrelsome wife who can be just as foolish as her husband. The issue is how they deal with their anger. Now, granted... It can be insulting to call someone a fool. I actually had a memory of my dad uh, critiquing me on a sermon I was working on decades ago, and he said, you know, I wouldn't use the word fool in calling somebody, you know. And I thought, that's interesting. We We don't like to use that word about others. I may think it in my office. <laughs> I'm not gonna say it, right? <laughs> You may think it in reference to people, but you might not say it. Here's an uncomfortable question. Are you a fool? How do you know that you're not? One of the ways to think about it is you have a problem with anger. You know? We have to admit there are times when we are foolish. Perhaps, many times we are foolish, right? Nod your head, many times we are foolish. But there's a difference between being foolish and being a fool. We don't want to be a fool. What's the difference? Nabal was the kind of fool described in Proverbs. A little later on, we'll see what happens to him. It's at the end of the chapter. But the next character we want to look at now is his wife, Abigail. Abigail is the wise woman who intervenes. In verse 3, she's described as intelligent and beautiful and uh After Nabal vented his foolish, angry reaction toward David's men and their request for food, Abigail hears about it from one of Nabal's shepherds. He expresses his frustration to her in verse 17 that her husband is such a worthless fool that nobody can talk to him. He tells her that he's concerned that there will be trouble for the whole family as a result of Nabal's outburst. And so Abigail's wisdom springs her into action. In verse 18, she gathered a whole bunch of food and supplies and put them on donkeys. And then she rode on a donkey herself down to meet up with David and his men. And the timing of her meeting David was providential. David was just telling himself, the text says, that they're going to kill Nabal and all the men that are with him. And so he leads this group of four hundred men with swords. When she meets up with David, she shows just how wise she is, not just in giving him these supplies, but in what she says. She gives a wonderful speech in verses 23 to 31. The text is too long for me to read here this morning again, so let me summarize it this way. She gets up to David where he is. She gets off the donkey. She kneels down before him. And she tells David not to listen to Nabal because he's a fool. His name is stupid and stupidity is all he knows. She takes ownership for not giving them the food earlier because she didn't know that they had asked for it. She appeals to God's providence in not letting David take this act of vengeance earlier. She gives him the food and supplies he requested. She asks for forgiveness. And she reminds him of God's promises that David will one day be king because he fights the Lord's battles. And he's going to have a lasting dynasty. She appeals to his conscience that when he becomes king, that he would not have remorse or a troubled conscience for killing Nabal and his men. She didn't want David to live with that regret. And so she says in verse 31, When the Lord does good things for my Lord, may you remember me, your servant. By the way, she uses the word Lord, referring to God seven times in her speech, She uses the word Lord in reference to David 13 times. Wow. Just wow. It's a wonderful speech, and it shows how wise and intelligent she is. More could be said about it. She is the wife of noble character that's described in Proverbs 31. I just love how it says in Proverbs 31, 25, strength and honor are her clothing, and she can laugh at the time to come. Her mouth speaks wisdom, and loving instruction is on her tongue. That's Abigail. She's the Proverbs 31 woman. It reminds me of 1 Peter 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, which describes a woman who is married to a man who is disobedient to the word, a man who's not a believer. Uh, and it describes this woman in those verses as having the imperishable quality of a quiet and gentle spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Peter goes on to talk about the holy women of the Old Testament, like Sarah. Sarah called Abraham Lord, and who did what was good and did not give in to fear. Abigail did what is good and did not give way to fear in her own life. Abigail is that kind of woman. She faced David and 400 men with swords. She's the kind of woman who knows how to intervene in a difficult situation, and she helped David to avoid sin and pursue righteousness. All of us need to learn that kind of wisdom, and have that kind of courage. book of James in the New Testament says it this way. James chapter 5, the very last uh, verse of the book, 519, it's for us. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth, someone turns him back. Let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. James encourages us to consider how to intervene in the lives of others to help them avoid sin and pursue righteousness. Perhaps you have a family member that you're concerned about, Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a relative, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's someone in your life, maybe it's a neighbor, someone in your life that you are concerned about, that you know there's an issue that in their life that they need to address. You need to ask the Lord wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom on what to do. Ask the Lord for strength or courage to intervene. Perhaps seek wise counsel for help. Oftentimes in my office, people are asking me for counsel on how to deal with a difficult situation with a family member or a loved one and how to intervene in such a way that they would listen to them and avoid sin and pursue righteousness. May we all be like an Abigail in the lives of others when they need it. You know, our staff has actually been going through a book uh, called Caring for One Another by Ed Welch. uh, And I had a chance to meet Ed Welch uh, last year. It was a great uh, conversation that I had with him. And toward the end of it, the last chapter we actually talked about was this chapter called Talk About Sin. And he makes the case that we should be a community of believers that often will address issues of sin in our lives and have the ability to talk about it openly, vulnerably, uh, sensitively, with wisdom and with grace, uh, with compassion, but to do it in such a way we can acknowledge the reality of sin in our lives. And so uh, all of us, in essence, need to be an Abigail, And all of us, in essence, need to be able to respond in the way that David did. So let's look at the third point. David, the future king who listens and responds. We read in verse 32 that David listened to Abigail. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you to meet me today. May your discernment be blessed. May you be blessed. Today you have kept me from participating in bloodshed and avenging myself by my own hand. David was grateful for her intervention. He had a positive response. Dr. Allender, who I mentioned earlier in his books, says that in the book of Proverbs, we can make a case for three different categories. There's the evil person, There is the fool, and there's the normal sinner. Um, I can say more about that. Time doesn't allow me to, but uh, the evil person, they know what they're doing is wrong, and they don't care. The fool may not know it, but they react. They do not acknowledge it. The normal sinner has a much healthier response. The normal sinner responds to a rebuke or a correction who listens to and positively responds to others when, when they know they need to own up to something and they know they need to confess something and acknowledge it. Uh, they listen non-defensively and they respond as someone who owns up to uh, their mistake. You know, you read in the passage that David, uh, when he first heard the news about what Nabal had done to his uh, men and said to him, was seething with anger. David had some anger in reaction to what happened uh, and was going to take revenge. We see that uh, in this passage. But now his anger subsided and he acknowledged that he was wrong and he would not take revenge as a result of Abigail's intervention. And he acknowledges that God's providence was in all of it. God was at work behind the scenes, and he sees the work of God through Abigail and responds to it accordingly. God's providence uh, started with uh, an unnamed shepherd who first told Abigail about the situation. God prompted Abigail to act quickly, getting supplies and going up to meet David and his men. God delayed David from going up to Nabal's place, prevented him from doing harm. God gave Abigail the right words to say, and he gave David the right heart to respond. Seven times Abigail refers to the Lord working in this situation in her speech. Twice, David acknowledges that, that indeed it was God's providence at work, and he's grateful. Perhaps God is working providentially in your life. Are you in a situation that needs to be addressed to help someone avoid sin, pursue righteousness? Any such situation come to mind for you? I'm often involved in helping couples think that through or individuals think that through if you're in that kind of situation. Or, let me flip it around. Are you in a situation where someone has confronted you? Someone has expressed concerns to you. Someone has brought up issues in your life that you need to deal with. Are you like a Nabal? Defensive? Or are you like a David? Non defensive, owning it and acknowledging it and repenting of it. You have an Abigail in your life? We all need an Abigail in our lives. Last week, Drew talked about God's hand in his dealings with David. Um, Thinking about why this chapter is where it is in the book of 1 Samuel, uh, Drew talked about God's hand last week in reference to David and Saul. David understood he was not to slay the Lord's anointed, that is, King Saul. He was to leave Saul in God's hands. But here, David is about to take matters into his own hands until Abigail intervenes. What's the point of this passage? I actually think that Nabal is like Saul, a fool. Sort of the the way the author indirectly calls Saul a fool. Let me tell you what he's like. He's like a Nabal. David won't take Saul's life, but he's tempted to take Nabal's life and the lives of all his men. And in doing so, David would become like a Saul. And Abigail's intervention prevents David from using his power as a personal leader for personal vengeance, the very thing that Saul does repeatedly, like he did to the priests at Nob. David, if he's going to be a righteous king, must not do that. He must not be like a Saul who took vengeance on people needlessly. There are some situations in which he must not take matters into his own hand or he must leave them in God's hand. Biblical principle Drew brought up last week from Romans twelve nineteen applies here. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. David followed that in the previous chapter, 24, with Saul. He follows it again in the next chapter, 26, with Saul. But in between in chapter 25 is this character named Nabal, and David is to learn not to do that here as well. Vengeance. Justice against one's enemies is a challenging topic for David. You know, I've been doing a deep dive into the Psalms for several months. Every morning I wake up and I read through a psalm, I pray through the psalm, and then I have two commentaries that I look at. They're pretty scholarly commentaries to try to understand the context and the words and the meaning and all of that. And I've been struck as I've been going through the psalms. I think I I did Psalm 112, 111 today, this morning. So that's how far I've gotten. Uh, It's amazing how every single psalm that David writes seems to refer to enemies somewhere. You know, we have all these verses we love in the psalms that David writes that we put on our coffee cups, our mugs, you know, but then there's the next verse, It's like, oh, wow, that's that's pretty, that's hard, you know, that's, you know, that's uh, about enemies. I've been struck by that. Oftentimes, it's how his enemies will say awful things about him, just like Nabal, And sometimes he wants to take them out. The wording says that. But, you know, after all, he's uh, God's warrior. He's fighting the Lord's battle, right? His enemies are God's enemies. Should he take them out? Or should he, as he often prays in the Psalms, that God would take them out? Guess what happens? The Lord did just that in the case of Nabal. We read at the end of the chapter that after David dismissed Abigail, she went home to Nabal. He was in the middle of a feast getting drunk. Nabal the fool, the text says he was acting like a king. He was acting like Saul. He had this feast fit for a king, and he was just eating and gluttonous and getting drunk. When she came in, she just let him go to bed, and he went to sleep. Next morning, when he woke up and he was sober, she took him, told him, you know what she told him? She said, you know what? I gave some of your food to David. (laughs) You know, the food that you didn't want him to have anything? I gave it to him, and it's a good thing I did, because he was about to come and kill you and all of the men in your household. In response to that, the scripture says that Nabal the fool's heart turned to stone, verse 37. He could have repented. It was his opportunity to repent. The intervention of Abigail into Nabal's life at that moment was an opportunity for repentance. Instead, his heart turned to stone. Hard heart, unwilling to acknowledge his sin. Ten days later, the text says, he died. The Lord struck him dead. Dr. Allender, in the book I mentioned earlier, called Bold Love, says this, the fool refuses to struggle with issues of character. Rather, he gives himself over to something that provides relief without enticing him toward heaven The fool lives for pleasure. Think of Nabal eating and drinking. Lives for pleasure in order to hide from the decay of the world and his body. As death and loss impinge more and more, the fool must deepen his pursuit of pleasure in order to eat, drink, and laugh death away. But death... Will catch him mid sentence and without warning. His soul will be required to stand naked before an unflinching and holy God. He could have written that about Nabal, couldn't he? Abigail told her husband the truth, and because he was a fool, he didn't receive the news well, so God took his life. Remember the passage I read in James 5? Sometimes our intervention with a person who's caught in the errors of their ways, if they respond well, can save their soul from death. But there are many times when people don't respond well and their soul is not saved from death. The case here. Let me restate the main point of this sermon. In his providence, God uses people to intervene in the lives of others to help them avoid sin and pursue righteousness. David responds well, and uh, his response is in verse 39. Blessed be the Lord who championed my cause against Nabal's insults and restrained his servant from doing evil. The Lord brought Nabal's evil deeds back on his own head. David's grateful that he didn't take matters into his own hand, but he left it in the hands of the Lord, and the Lord took care of him. We read next that David requested that Abigail become his wife. She agreed. Then he married another woman named Ahinoam. Verse 44 says that Saul gave David's wife Michal to another man. And while the passage doesn't say anything negative about David's beginning practice of polygamy, let me just make this comment. We know that it was never God's original design for marriage. God says that through Jesus. When Jesus says, uh, you, know, you know, from the beginning, he goes back to Adam and Eve and said that was God's design for marriage, one man and one woman. Uh, and Paul picks up on that, goes back to the beginning and says that was God's original intent. And David was violating that. In fact, uh, Moses warned in Deuteronomy 17, 17, that future kings should not accumulate wives. May have led to David's sin and with Bathsheba. Certainly led to Solomon's sin. We know that. The text says that the women led him into idolatry. And in those days, they were Foolish. Foolish. We close this morning. I want to remind you of a passage that was read earlier in the service from the book of Titus, chapter 3. Verse 3, For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. Describes Nabal, right? He was exactly like that. Nabal was foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. You could probably make a case that a lot of the readers of Titus, you know, they were Cretans. Look what this says about the Cretans on the island of Crete. A lot of them were like this. But you know what else it says? We. Paul says, We, we too were foolish. We too were disobedient. We too were deceived. We too were enslaved. We too were hateful. We too have an anger problem. The central part of the gospel is the bad news that we also were foolish and enslaved to sin. Some of us were not just foolish, we were fools. We needed an intervention. And we read about that intervention in this very passage. You know, I love it in Scripture when it gives a really negative statement and then it says, but God. Uh, That's true in Ephesians 2. It's true here as well. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration, renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out his Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. The intervention that we needed was a mediator, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. Could not be righteous enough in and of ourselves to be in right standing before God, We needed the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the truth so that we can trust in Jesus Christ our Savior and be justified or declared righteous in God's sight by his grace, not by works, not by anything we do. You know, just uh, as you think about your own conversion experience, if you're a believer in Jesus, think about who intervened in your life and shared the gospel with you. God used a human person providentially working in your life to change your life with the gospel. I remember that person in my life. Let me word the main point of the sermon a little differently. In his providence, God used someone to intervene in our lives to help us acknowledge our sin and our need for a Savior. Only then can we be declared righteous in his sight. Praise God. If you're not a Christian, many ways you know that you're still foolish in the way that you think, in the way that you live, in your attitudes, in your response to others who seek to intervene. This is the moment where you could give up your foolishness and receive the kindness of the gospel in your life. Let's take a moment of silence to ponder this passage.